You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by listeners like you, supporters on Patreon. Join us today at patreon.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 462, Maneuvers. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we focus fire on each and every episode of Star Trek, breaching their shields to find the morals, meanings, and messages contained therein, and seeing if they withstand the test of time. This week, Maneuvers, the one where Chakotay is driven to the brink by Seska, who pretty much maneuvers everyone into getting what she wants, what she really, really wants. And I'll tell you what she wants, what she really, really wants, but not before I tell all of you how you can reach all of us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And remember, your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. And now, here's John Champion with what you want, what you really, really want with this week's trivia. All right, short and sweet. This week's episode, Maneuvers, was written by Kenneth Biller. And this is one of those assignments that came Ken's way as he was an active part of the staff at that point. Michael Piller helped steer this one, though, and the two didn't always see eye to eye. We'll get into that maybe a little bit later when we discuss the conclusion of the episode. It was directed by David Livingston, and of course, glad to see the prolific Mr. Livingston back in the director's chair. He's got a grand total of 28 episodes of Voyager, this one being his fifth. We last covered his episode, Non Sequitur. Let's meet our guest stars. We get to welcome back a couple of previous Voyager guest stars this week. Martha Hackett returns as Seska. Fun fact about Martha, she found out she was pregnant shortly before this episode was filmed. That was a coincidence for the turn her character takes at the end. And Anthony Delongis appears again as Kala, but of course. And new to the show are some more Kazon. There's Surat, played by John Gigenhuber, making his Voyager debut. John will appear once more in the same role, and then for a final turn as a different alien. With a lot of TV appearances under his belt, John also has a number of voice credits, notably on SpongeBob SquarePants. But you may remember his face from the short-lived 90s sci-fi series Earth 2. And finally, there's Haran played by Terry Lester. And he spent a lot of time in front of the camera with hundreds of soap opera appearances in the 80s and 90s. But people in our audience may remember him from the Filmation Saturday morning live-action show Arc 2, in which he starred as Jonah. This is Terry's only Star Trek appearance, and sadly, we lost him at the age of 53 in 2003. Look out, the Kazon are back, and they haven't found any hair care products. In all likelihood, this has not improved their mood.
prologue. In the turbo lift, there are clearly two winners. Bellana, who was beating Chakotay 19-7 in a game of hoverball, and Chakotay, who was now winning at getting underneath Bellana's skin, about letting her win and lulling her into a false sense of security. However, even before they had a chance to change into their duty uniforms, they meet with Captain Janeway on the bridge, where both she and Tuvok inform Chakotay and Bellana that Voyager is in fact being hailed by a nearby beacon, using a Federation signal. Act 1. After speculating on how or why there would be a Federation beacon transmitting hailing frequencies in the Delta Quadrant, Tuvok proves that the beacon's codes meet his security protocols and is indeed genuine. And even though Captain Janeway throttles back Harry Kim's overt optimism about the probe being Starfleet's attempt to locate them, she orders Voyager to investigate and has Tom set course for the beacon. The source of the signal is emanating from within a large purple nebula. Janeway orders the beacon to be tractor beamed in for further examination. Suddenly, a Kazon Raider emerges from the nebula with weapons hot, firing on Voyager relentlessly and creating an ever-widening hole in her shields. Chakotay believes the Kazon must have Voyager's access codes in order to bypass their shield harmonics so easily. And once Janeway and Tuvok realize what is happening, a smaller Kazon vessel slips through the breached shields and rams itself into Voyager's hull, allowing a small Kazon raiding party to board Voyager and strike with surgical precision. Knowing what to extract and how to avoid security details, the Kazon raiders are one step ahead of Tuvok at every turn, until he finally catches up with them in the main transporter room, only to watch them escape with what appears to be a transporter module. With the breaching pods stuck in Voyager's hull and unable to achieve warp speed, Janeway uses the tractor beam to prevent the Kazon's escape. First Maj Kulla of the Kazon Nistrum hails Janeway to gloat and introduce his new ally as Seska steps forward, who now appears more Cardassian than when they last saw each other. Chakotay is clearly wounded at the sight of her, but it doesn't last long, as Seska makes everyone well aware of Chakotay's predictability by neutralizing the tractor beam and allowing the Kazon ship to escape. Act 2 after regrouping from Seska and Kulla's daring raid, Janeway and her crew triage their situation and plan how to literally move forward. First, Balana and Harry need to get the shuttle-sized knife out of Voyager's back and establish warp speed to give chase to Kulla's raider. Tuvok's concerns are warranted, citing how Seska, whose Cardassian, Maquis, and Starfleet tactical experience will no doubt give Kulla superior tactical advantages. However, Chakotay believes that Seska's compulsive pride has provided them an exploitable clue, a warp trail beckoning Chakotay to follow. Tuvok believes the means of defeating Seska is to exploit her emotional ties to Chakotay because they all know that Seska is tactically prepared for what happens next, unless they get creative. Meanwhile, Maj Kulla treats with Maj Heron and his aide from the Kazon Rolora, currently the most powerful of all the sects. Heron is intrigued by Voyager's transporter technology and congratulates Kulla on his daring and bravado. However, Heron suggests that the Rolora, being the strongest sect, should use it to defeat Voyager and then divide the spoils of victory. Kulla is enraged at such an insult, but is tempered by Seska's advice to let Heron and his aide return to their ship as they deliberate his offer. Back on Voyager, Chakotay and Balana tech the tech and figure out a way to neutralize the stolen transporter module with a modified coil scanner. Chakotay remembers a daring maneuver Seska made in the past, and similar to what is now required to destroy the module. 
Balana can't help but notice how tortured Chakotay is about Seska and how he is taking it all more personally than usual. On the bridge, Tom Paris advises Janeway that he has discovered a gap in the Nistrum ship's warp trail, and more importantly, some floating debris in their path. Floating debris, that is, under magnification, appear to be two Kazon bodies adrift in space. Act 3. In sickbay, the Doctor believes that the two Kazon were indeed alive before they were beamed out into space. Neelix, as Voyager's resident Kazon expert, points out that the green band on one of the corpse's tunics belongs to the first maj of the Kazon Rolora, sworn enemies of the Nistrum, and proof that Seska and Kala executed these men using a now fully integrated transporter module. In the briefing room, Janeway is ready to finalize and initiate the plan to neutralize their stolen technology, but Chakotay is nowhere to be found. According to the computer, it appears that he commandeered a shuttlecraft. Piecing together his immediate disappearance with a coil scanner now missing from engineering, meaning Janeway and Bolana are certain that he's going after Kala and Seska alone. On Kala's ship, the first Mosh has taken great exception that Seska, a woman, has overstepped by using his name to invite the leaders of the weaker Mostral and Hobai sects to join him in his quest to defeat Voyager. Seska abates his wrath by appealing to his thirst for power and maneuvers his expectation to become the greatest Kazon leader since Sankor to unite the disparate tribes under one banner. Back on Voyager, with Janeway as her audience, Taurus advocates for Chakotay, who believes he is doing right by his captain and crewmates, and believes this is all his fault, that Seska was and still his responsibility. Janeway believes that, as her first officer, Chakotay will need to answer for his actions accordingly, but she and Balana agree on finding him first. Speaking of which, as the old saying goes, sometimes the best laid plans go off in awry, as Seska outmaneuvers Chakotay at every turn by revealing his location, capturing his shuttle, and having Majkola board and apprehend... Wait, he's not on board? Before Seska can react, Chakotay appears from nowhere and destroys the transporter module with a phaser beam, and as he approaches with said phaser trained on Seska's head, he pauses, puts up his weapon, activates a message beacon, and surrenders. Act 4. On Voyager, Tuvok intercepts Chakotay's beacon, which he confirms as authentic. In his coded message, Chakotay reveals that he did in fact go against orders, acted alone, and destroyed the stolen transporter module. He also states that it is unlikely that he is still alive, and requests that no rescue attempt be made. Back on Kala's ship, Chakotay is physically beaten, in shackles, and left in the clutches of Seska, who, after a reunion of sorts, tries to pick up where they last left off. But Chakotay stands fast and not only resists her attempts at seducing him, but makes Seska understand that neither his command codes nor the shuttlecraft technology she's captured will service her needs or those of her Kazon allies. On Voyager, Janeway, Tuvok, and Torres convene and deliberate on how to best respect Chakotay's wishes. Tuvok, as he is wont to do, remains prudent in his advice to not put Voyager in harm's way. Alana, however, believes that Janeway should lean towards what her gut instinct is telling her, not just for Chakotay, but for the overall morale of the crew. And with that, Janeway orders Paris to set course to Chakotay's last known coordinates. And for his sake, Voyager better find Chakotay soon, as he is beating savagely beaten and bloodied by Kala's own hands. In his defiance, Chakotay manages to plant a seed of doubt in the Maj, with very specific examples of how Seska is manipulating him, just as she once manipulated Chakotay in their past relationship. But Kala is far too motivated by the power that is within his grasp once Voyager and her advanced technologies are at the ready to make him the greatest Kazon leader ever.
After drugging him with some type of truth serum, Kala leaves Chakotay in Seska's care, and she admits that she's kept him alive for reasons, as she plunges a long needle into the base of his neck and extracts fluid from his spine. Act 5. Tuvok informs Janeway that the Nistrum ship is in sensor range along with six other vessels which Neelix finds peculiar, never having seen this before. Janeway believes that these Kazon sects are forming an alliance to which Tuvok advises that it would be tactically unsound to attempt a rescue mission. However, Belana believes she can isolate Chakotay on Kulla's ship and beam him out while Voyager is at warp, an extreme tactic she executed once before as a Maquis when she had no other options. As Voyager approaches the Kazon Armada, Mash Kulla presents his case to the leaders of the six different Kazon sects who all want proof that he has the will and the means to defeat Voyager. Challenged with such defiance from skeptical lesser Majas, Kulla orders his ship to attack Voyager, citing he does in fact have the command codes to ensure victory as a beaten and broken Chakotay is dragged across the floor before them. Voyager is taking heavy fire and Torres almost beams Chakotay aboard, but a dampening field aboard the Nistrum ship compensates to disrupt Voyager's transport or targeting system. Belana is running out of time, but Janeway has another option. Kulla's would-be allies are unconvinced that he can breach Voyager's defenses. However, their aggressive negotiations are stalled once Janeway beams all the Kazon leaders aboard Voyager, forcing them to trade Chakotay and his shuttle for their own safe passage and freedom. With the crisis abated, the question remains, what of Chakotay? As he stands before Janeway awaiting the inevitable, she appears to the man and the officer she once believed in when they started this journey together. After making her expectations clear, they are both called to the bridge, as Seska has one last parting gift for Chakotay. She tells him that when he was captive, she stole DNA from him in order to impregnate herself. Chakotay, whether he likes it or not, will soon become a father to Seska's child. The End Norman, nice job on the recap. We can't overlook Hoverball. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have to know all about it. First of all, it sounds way cooler than Spring Ball. Do you play it on a hoverboard? Are there other hover elements to it? Because I have to know. E- easy, John. It, it's only Hoverball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> only Hoverball. I, you know what? Uh-huh. That, that line came off so wrong to me. It sounded so sexist i don't know why yeah you know because yeah. it's like a whole like you know he's i know he's trolling balada and she's like i'm beating you 19 to 7 and then a little bit of dialogue gets heated up and he's like just just relax it's only hoverball i'm like dude <laughs> you set this whole thing up uh-huh i didn't like how that landed i'm sorry i didn't yeah um speaking of also what i didn't like landing mm-hmm. what was up with chakotay's hoverball accoutrement his attire was he in the yeah. middle of taking it off? Was it torn because he was getting his ass whipped? I mean, like, you know? That could have been it. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 uh, not as cool as the very dedicated spring ball outfits. You know, like, this is an outfit for spring ball. Though, those, yeah, it was a little, little rags. Weird. Yeah. Uh, teaser aside, and, and this is really more of, like, an overall kind of coverage statement, but I, I got to point it out. Like, this first act mm-hmm. is really height and Mm -hmm. it's really exciting i mean you think about all the things that you get past hoverball you you get the tease of the starfleet beacon their excitement about this you get the sneak attack you get the firefight in the cargo bay you get the escape in the transporter room like everything super tight well paced Uh, that was as good a first act 
as we've seen in pretty much any of Star Trek up to this point. Yeah, and also there's like a really nice detail when Kazon Nistrum's ship was firing at the shields right before the shuttlecraft was able to, you know, get close. Mm-hmm. There was a little bitty hole mm-hmm. you could see it fly through. Oh, that's true. Yeah, they did a right. nice job in the animation on mm-hmm. that. Just yeah. like, it's like, okay, you yeah. know, are they just going to let it transition? No, like a little bitty pinhole you could see off in the distance, yeah. you know, opened up and they flew right through it before they rammed the ship. I thought that was good. But, okay, that said, though, you cut to the practical, and I thought that crashed set piece of the shuttle, though, I mean, <laughs> like, it, I mean, come on. It just looks like they stuck a crash shuttle in this room. Yeah. You know, it, it's – and look, I, I, we have to forgive them. This is 1995. You're not doing a lot of complex set building with CG, and you certainly can't tear up your existing standing set. But you would have something a bit more dramatic now. Yeah, like nowadays you would have like yeah. glowing edges of like superheated metal where it punched through, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. However, yeah. they did – sell the fact that probably the MVP of this episode was the catwalk beam that saved Ch- that Tuvok from basically getting gunned down by phaser fire. Ooh, yeah. Tuvok, like, comes on the scene and, like, the, the Kazon have him dead to rights if it weren't for that one giant post that yeah. pretty much saved him from getting killed. <laughs> right. All right. Right. That, that was, like, a critical tactical piece of that room. The tactical yeah. post. Yes. Every, every room should have one. <laughs> by the way, that the, the transporter module is tiny and like i look around that room and i'm like man transporter rooms are huge what what does this one thing do that all this other stuff doesn't do or i yeah but anyway i i get it's the mcguffin whatever and you know what oh tuvok you really need to do a better <laughs> job at like changing your passwords you know when you get a system update because he is literally getting beaten mm. on his ship at every turn and he's head of security Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. And at some point later in the show when uh, Janeway says, like, you know, I want a full report of security protocols. Like, yeah, you better because Tuvok, he's fallen down on the job. I do like cutting to Seska and she, you know, announces on the viewer there. I'm in the process of restoring my Cardassian physiology. Like, I wonder how. She's you know, she she's on this ship with less advanced technology than she's used to, with these people who probably don't know or care what a Cardassian looks like. It was just you know at home hobbyist uh, plastic surgery. So you're I mean you're wondering I think everyone else is wondering too and you know this would have been an interesting way to like weave in why maybe. She wanted the transporter technology as badly, too, because it could genetically re-alter her back to being a Cardassian, because that's what they use it for. Maybe so. Maybe right? so. So, yeah, you know, yeah, it slices, point. it dices, it returns you to your Cardassian, you know, uh, aesthetic. <laughs> it does it all. You know? Yeah. There are some things that happen in this episode that clearly are just for dramatic exposition uh, or maybe contractual obligation. But I kept wondering, why is Neelix there in the cargo bay while they're doing damage assessment? I mean, it's literally like just, yeah, you got Janeway, you got Tuvok, you got Chakotay, I believe. And then there's Neelix, and Neelix has to ask the dumb questions so Janeway can explain. I I think he's there because he's the stand-in for, like, the exposition. He's the stand-in for us, right? You know, so here, so Timmy, here's why we need to know Uh, exactly why this is happening. 
and um, also because. But but can, could could you do? I think it's contractual obligation. But could oh, totally. you do that <laughs> same exchange, but with Jacote or Tuvok or Milana, somebody else who, you know, yeah. Oh, like you 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 could have that conversation in a different way easily. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm glad we finally got all of this just out in the open for everybody to know. Chakotay got intimately involved with Seska. You know, mm. there were all these hints uh, what was going on there. And, of course, Seska manipulating him on Voyager. But, um, yeah, had to get that out for everybody, literally everybody to know now. He got and called out. I mean, he really he did. did. He did. Yeah. You know, and fast forward to the end of the episode. It's like, no, no, no. Go, go ahead and let my private messages play publicly. Oh, Oh, that's what we're revealing now. I'm know? telling you, I never got with her. She's not my bag, baby. She's she not my bag. <laughs> One receipt. <laughs> uh, I, I got to say, for the Kazon, uh, probably for Seska, beaming a couple of enemies into space—that is cold. Yeah, a- and it is literally cold. Yeah, that like that was mafia style execution, right? You know, mm-hmm. like Maj Heron like sleeps with the space fishes kind of execution. <laughs> he does. Right. He does. We've seen some space fishes in voyager before that's true um yeah yeah stylistic note here i love 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 that long steady cam walk and talk right into engineering Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean that is a super long time if you time it out before we get to a cut before we get to the reverse and it really shows off that set uh so bravo to david livingston and to marvin rush for that all right let's cut to the uh kazon ship i am the leader of this sect you are only a woman. Okay. Okay. We we know that the Kazon aren't exactly paragons of equal rights here. I wonder how this is for Seska having come from Cardassia. Like, is this a step up or a step down? Because most of the women that we met who were Cardassian also kind of operating in the shadows, mm-hmm. but probably knew more than they let on. I'm thinking, I'm thinking it's a step up because... I think the Cardassian men in general are smarter than Kazon men. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that she's she can easily manipulate Kulla, say, more than, I don't know, Damar. True, okay, true. But she's got to put up with more nonsense with those Kazon, too. True enough. Which gets me back to a whole question about motivation <laughs> that I'll come back to later. Uh, speaking of motivation, Chicote, you had a phaser and you had the upper hand. And then you just handed the phaser to Seska. <laughs> I was screaming at my TV. I'm like, what is going on? You you completed your mission and then you surrender. You had yeah. like you had basically the entirety of all of this wrapped up if you took her hostage and then negotiated for your escape. You have the most powerful weapon in the room. Mm-hmm. I think maybe there was one other person in that room that could have been easily dispatched. Yeah. Uh, yeah, would have changed the whole thing. Right. Now, <laughs> Seska yeah. says to Chicote, I thought all these months of answering to Janeway would make you soft, but all you needed was a little slap in the face to get that Maquis heart of yours beating again. You know what? You're right, Seska. And let me tell you about also getting slapped in the face, Lieutenant Dalby. So Chicote knows a thing or two about that. For all of you playing Mission Log Bingo, Circle gets a square mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's um, what he was kind of getting to in initiations when he calls himself a gentleman. You know? 
there's there's this weird thing about Chakotay where we saw his past, you know, with Tattoo, and then we're seeing kind of like his present where he's a little bit more man of action. But he's only a man of action up to a point when he gets his actual point across. And then it's like that's the end of my mission parameters. I'm moving on. It's a weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Oh, okay. So here's a hard, here's a weird thing though. Hardware versus so hardware versus software. Chakotay said yeah. to Seska that the shuttle is not going to do you any good because I wiped the computer core. But the technology mm. is still there. Like the keyboards mm. are still there, right? Any of the modules inside are still there. So Seska's pretty smart. She's mm-hmm. like, yeah, you erased a program that I could easily rewrite. Could be. Right? Yeah. Absolutely could be. Or interface that technology with their existing Kazon tech. Yeah. Right. Indeed, yeah. This one moment when Seska's through with you, she's going to kill you. Good scene, shot and acted well. I liked the kind of blurry fisheye, the distortion we got there. It, it was nice, and you really saw Ch- Chakotay through the ringer on that one. Yeah, I really thought that, that Robert Beltran, you could really tell that he was flexing some of his acting chops here because you can mm-hmm. see not just the pain of like the interrogation and the torture, but the shame of it all. You could see the shame on his face. It was really well acted. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting how, like, there is kind of a logistical weirdness to this episode. So most of the time, Voyager is very far away. But they can tell there are other ships coming to Cullo's location and where they are and that they aren't powering weapons but the Kazon can't see Voyager or just assemble and head over there. Like they were always sort of playing fast and loose with the time and distance Mm -hmm. in everything in this one. But uh, that's not the point of the episode, but uh, but I thought I'd point it out. Remember John, the strongest armor in any show is plot armor. Mm -hmm. So, Oh, very true. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. And wow. Beam Chakotay out without slowing down. This is just a thing Balana can do. I mean, we haven't, Cross the timelines yet, but I, you know, I wonder if there's another engineer somewhere who could do something quite as daring. Am I allowed to reference before. that at all? I, <laughs> well, you know, we never break the timeline on this show until we break the timeline on this show. But it's the timeline in real time, but it's actually prior to the Voyager timeline, technically. Yeah. It is. It is. We just haven't really covered it yet. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, of course, what you're referring to. Go ahead. Simon Pegg, you know, as Scotty in, in 2009, said that it's like, this is like transwarp beaming, like what is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, the notion of transwarp beaming is trying to hit a bullet with a smaller bullet whilst wearing a blindfold riding a horse. You know, like, yeah, yeah. that's what she did, right? Yeah. So yeah. she kind of proves it before 2009. And she's like, we're Maquis. We just got to do. You know, we don't think about it. Yeah. We just got to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. Which, okay, again, going back to the whole technology thing, who has what, who has which capabilities. Again, if Voyager is so much more advanced that it can fly by at speeds that the Kazon can't, why isn't Voyager already just so far ahead of the Kazon <laughs> ships after this many months anyway? Like, they should be so far back in the rearview mirror that they're not even a concern. But, again... Plot, yeah. plot armor and drama. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is, it, it was kind of a weird cut. There's a lot of teching the tech and a long sequence of Balana touching the computer. 
to then announce I found him. Like, it just seemed like a needlessly dramatic, non-dramatic moment. And then, were they, they were trying to transport while their shields were raised. Can yeah. you do, okay, all right. I guess you can do that, except for the times you can't. Well, so all of this can be summed up in like one answer, and I always love this answer it's from J. Michael Straczynski, mm-hmm. and he said this about his ships, which were also kind of, you know, scrutinized this way in Babylon Five. He said, "My ships fly at the speed of plot." So <laughs> <laughs> that's what we got here. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. what we got here. Yeah, truly. Truly. Hey, look, we've taken a couple of knocks at Tuvok in this episode, but Tuvok in that last scene in the transporter room, Tuvok FTW, his coolness in that scene, it, it's so good. I, I love him. He is as cool in that scene as he was watching his stuff get stolen right out from under his nose. <laughs> he's just cool That's, regardless. He's just right? cool. He yeah. is. Winning he or is, losing, yeah. he's cool. And, and I do, like, you kind of wonder what happens afterward. He, you know, disables their weapons, beams them back to their ship. So what happens next? Do the Kazon just beat the hell out of each other once they're back on their ships? I mean, they're all pointing fingers at each other like Spider-Man. <laughs> right? Yes, yes, it's, yes. It's your fault. No, it's yeah. your fault. Yeah, yeah. And then, oh, oh, no. Uh, Chakotay's, he's on report. He, he's he's on report, Norman, so I can't wait to see what happens next week where he's, like, scrubbing vegetables in the galley. I'm sure that's what will happen when you're on report, right? A lot of, a lot of Leola root in the galley. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And is this the biggest soap opera ending of any episode of Star Trek so far? Seska's pregnant with Chakotay's DNA, which was stolen from him to create a child. Done. Dun, dun. Note to Tuvok, it has been 90 days, you should change your password, it must include at least one lowercase letter, one uppercase letter, one special character, Chief O'Brien's pants, one number, one other number, it cannot be the same password you used in the past. We will maneuver our way back to maneuvers in a moment, but first, a word of thanks to all of you who support us. Of course, we're talking about all of you who have joined us at patreon.com slash mission log. Norman, what can people expect if they join us at Patreon? Nothing but fun. Nothing but fun. Good times. Great conversation. Great people. That's what Discord is all about. And it starts with going to patreon.com slash mission log and taking a look at how you'd like to support us for as little as $1 a month. You can join our Discord community, and that's where the fun really begins. Wait, a dollar a month? Don't look. A dollar a month is so cheap. Don't even mention the fact that they get a discount if they sign up for a year. Like, don't even say that because a dollar a month is so little. Mm -hmm. We don't want the word to get out about that. So that's just between you and me. I won't say a dollar a month. I won't say for as little as a dollar a month. I promise. Yeah, no, don't. Yeah, don't even do that because we'd be cutting ourselves short if if we did that. Uh, But hypothetically, if somebody went over there and they signed up for a dollar a month or with a discount, they would get early access to shows. They would get uh, they would get exclusive swag that comes from the Patreon shop. They would, of course, get access to Discord, where the community is really alive. And there is so much happening there. Topics from everything like food and travel to pets, which is a lot of fun. I love seeing people post pics of their pets. 
Earl's heavy, heavy, heavily mm-hmm. represented in that area because he's got, you know, the cat contingent. And then we've got, uh, of course, discussion about fandom, not just Star Trek, but movies, uh, uh, TV shows divided up by decades, all kinds of stuff there. And special thanks to the people who have joined us most recently at Discord. Michelle, Starfleet, Bue Ships, Anne, Matthew, Matt, and Stuart. Welcome to all of you. And a hearty invitation to everybody who has not yet joined us at patreon.com slash mission log. Go there, get access to everything, and we'll see you in the Discord. All right, Norman, I don't know about you, but there are a few things in life that I fear as much as getting a talking to from Captain Janeway. Tell me, John. Tell me you what know, you want, what you really, really want. <laughs> what I really want is to always stay on Janeway's good side and never, ever disappoint her. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, wow, that that's... Um, you know, we do get that here for Chakotay. And this really is skipping to what I think is one of the most important parts of this episode. Is that enough? It is the talking to enough. Because... We already saw this once when it came to Tuvok acting on his own in Prime Factors. And that, I mean, that that sent chills up my spine just watching her dress down Tuvok. And, and I wasn't even in the room. I didn't even do anything bad. I'm like, ooh, yeah, boy, she's, she's tough. And what's interesting, you know, I teased it in trivia. This was Ken Biller's problem with the script, is that he wasn't really allowed to go there and show consequences for Chakotay's action. And, and I get it. I get the reasoning why he wasn't. This is an episodic show. But just imagine if they had been a little bolder with their choices. I, I, because I asked myself at the end of the day, how many incidents of insubordination will Janeway have to overlook? Mm-hmm. You know, we had a major one with Tuvok. We've got now a major one with Chakotay. And these two guys are like the top of the chain right, right next to the captain or right. right under the captain. But, yeah, they're on equal footing there. I <laughs> I, I don't know if, if these are the right decisions here. I think the difficult thing right now, like where Voyager is at with a story like this coming off of Deep Space Nine or sharing the same space as Deep Space Nine right now in kind of like the the production aspect. Deep Space mm-hmm. Nine is showing us what happens when you have consequences for your actions because that's the story that Deep Space Nine is telling. Sometimes. 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 But that's <laughs> at least here you are. Thank you. You know, that the caveat there is sometimes. But more often than not, and especially in, in the case where Voyager is concerned, Voyager is showing more of that hey, Timmy moment. Like, this is what happens when you do something consequential or inconsequential. You're going to have to stand up for your actions and you're going to have to meet the, the moral implications of what you did. And it's it's easier to to acknowledge that in a moral that isn't that doesn't really have a lot of depth to it it's just okay here's the lesson move on you're not dwelling mm-hmm. on it and it's certainly not making a deep impact on the audience certainly not the characters so it's lighter as was per voyager's mission to be lighter to be not as dark as its counterpart on tv at mm-hmm. the time but because Deep Space Nine was able to ingrain that in the Star Trek fandom at large, it leaves you wanting more when these decisions are being made and when you're weighing the consequences of especially like your highest officers, your most trusted confidants. It's like 
how are you going to punish Bones? How are you going to punish Spock? You know, if they defy Kirk or Riker yeah. or Data, if they defy Picard, like they have to have consequences. Too heavy, and you're going to have a similar, you know, outcome as to a show that's already on the air against you in a way. And too light, and you're risking like the consequences of what the audience is weighing now. Like, well, okay, so they broke the rules. Big deal, because nothing's going to happen, right? Well, and that's the thing. It's like, yeah, your your point from the production angle is very well taken. That you can't just punish data. You can't just throw him in the brig. But at the same time, the guy literally hijacked the ship and endangered the crew. Mm-hmm. It's like anybody else does that. You get thrown in the brig, but he's also one of you know the major players in the cast. And here you have Chakotay, uh, you've got Robert Beltran with you know top billing just under Janeway herself. And can you? Does it resonate the right way with the audience? If he's just getting the talking to, the stern talking to, or do you need to see some sort of uh, punishment consequence for his action? Because on report, we all know that that doesn't mean anything. And I just wonder if the the message there gets lost or does it get internalized? And that, that's why I say, like, yeah, I, I, Janeway to me is this formidable character. She is tough. She is strong. She has a great moral center so far. And um, and she is not somebody who I would want to disappoint or cross. At the same time, let's look at just the storytelling expectation. We separate ourselves from the sort of moral lens of what Star Trek does. The very idea of a character going rogue clear heads would tell you that somebody who is emotionally connected to a mission is exactly the person who should not be a part of that mission. That just makes sense. We all get that. At the same time, we are viewers of a story and we want our heroes to get what? Like what what are they getting revenge? Are they serving justice where they feel like justice wouldn't be served? Is it to see them emotionally satisfied? as well as satisfy the mission like what are we getting out of that as an audience maybe it's all of the above and how do we square that with the idea of okay we're we're in this unique structure though that is star trek and star trek says there is a lesson and there are some consequences to actions and we expect our characters to behave you know, under the better angels of their nature. And if they don't, there is some comeuppance for that. I mean, I, I want to remind the audience here about, uh, I think, the quote that's trying to encapsulate exactly what's happening at, at the point of this episode where the morals and meanings of messages will probably take shape. Janeway mm-hmm. says to Chakotay, I'm putting you on report. And I love this bit of writing in case that means anything anymore. Because it seems like it doesn't, mm-hmm. and she's like at her wit's end with how to enforce policy. And then Chakotay said, it means something to me, Captain. It means I've mm-hmm. let you down, and for that I'm truly sorry. A good sentiment, an honorable sentiment. But And I, and I like that they're addressing that specifically at this point in time with what do we do with the disciplinary action of my first officer? But what does that mean anymore in like the situation that they're in? Like, I'm only left with more questions than any answers. Like, what does that mean (laughs) 
to how right. the chain of command on this ship functions. And you're right. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the issue with with what to, with Tuvok did in Prime Directives. That was called Prime Directives. Prime, uh, Prime, 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 Prime Factors. Prime Factors. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because Janeway needs her first officer. And yep. she needed Chakotay more than she probably really needed because he was the Maquis that kept the other Maquis in line. But there's no other Maquis in line anymore. There is no other Maquis yeah. factor on the ship anymore. So exactly what does she need Chakotay for as a first officer? I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve it. I'm just saying that here's the bigger question. If he is breaking the rules, if he is going rogue, if he is the last element of the Maquis that needs to be kept in line... And that's why he was first officer. Why does he need to be first officer anymore? Promote Tuvok. But then again, I, Tuvok can't even keep the ship secure. So, <laughs> you know, what, what is she and, left and, with? And, and Tuvok went rogue too. But I right. feel like Tuvok, once he has that one moment with Janeway, we're never going to see that again out of him, uh, of Tuvok going rogue. And maybe that's the point of, of Chakotay's admittance, like, I have personally broken that covenant with you, that trust. And I have to work hard to redeem that because I think more often than not, I think that's what Torres was trying to get to in Chakotay's defense, his personality. Like he is a man that is convicted to do the right thing, but he's going to go about it in probably the wrong way. (laughs) Let let me ask you something about this moment where uh, Bilana is talking to Janeway about... Uh, what what they should do, right? And, and Janeway says that her gut tells her to follow Chakotay, but she should, you know, honor his wishes mm-hmm. that they don't. And I'm like, was this ever actually a debate in your head? <laughs> because I'm I'm not feeling that at all. Like that, it, it just seems like. Starfleet 101 that there is somebody missing you don't know and even if they say in the uh, in the message that is left in that beacon that you know don't come after me I'm probably dead no 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 you you still go it, even if all you do is you find the body you still go I, I I can't for a minute believe that was ever a debate for her you know I think the issue with that particular scene was you know we always feel that there's great balance with, you know, the ethos, pathos, and logos of characters in crucial scenes mm-hmm. like this. And you have Tuvok, which is logos, and then you have pathos, which I do believe should be Balana in this case, and then you have ethos, you know, which is Janeway. But then you also have logos, which is Janeway, because she believes in the logical thing to do. So the equation is out of balance. It's ethos, mm-hmm. pathos, logos, logos, which is leaning heavily mm-hmm. on what the logical thing to do is. But then it's circ- it's it's subverted because she's like... No, I'm going to go with my gut instinct. So it doesn't really yeah. work. Like you want yeah. you want this to be wrestled with and all equal measures being weighed, but the outcome is wrong, right? The outcome isn't, you know, part of the equation. It's all of a sudden like you all bring up great points, but I'm going to do what I want to do as the captain. Right? Yeah. Yeah, sure. And that's what we didn't really get to organically. It was a very unbalanced situation there, I think. Yeah. But I do want to mention two scenes that I thought were really strong here. Uh, First of all, I mean, just for pure dramatic entertainment value, the yes Maj scene with Seska feeding Cullis ego. No, you didn't. You didn't. uh, You weren't feeling that. I was and I wasn't. Go ahead. I'll I'll get to my. Yeah. Uh, Okay. I I thought it was such an interesting that she took the liberty of contacting the other Kazon sects. Mm -hmm. and, And it was 
fun enough as it is to see how she's manipulating him. And honestly, the whole population of Kazon at that point, you know. But then to what end? Because I still, and I'll come back to this, I still ask myself, what is Seska's endgame? What actually is her motivation here? Is it just that it's in her nature to manipulate the politics and power balance of other species but then that is followed by the scene of balana trying to explain chakotay's actions to janeway marvelously written i thought you know balana saying to janeway he respects your authority janeway just comes back but mm-hmm. <laughs> a great efficiency of dialogue there i thought it was great and i thought it, it really hammered at home when janeway just flat out says i find it a little more than self-indulgent of chakotay to assume that this is all about him really nice stuff really well done and and perfectly in janeway's character voice you know Talk to me about that Yes Maj scene and how that did not play for you. Well, I wanted it to play a little bit more closer to Lady Macbeth because I think that there's a, a mm-hmm. Macbeth type of dynamic that's going on here. But yep. there's obviously yep. a certain kind of like um, like overplayed sexism involved you know, with Kala in calling her like you the woman. And all of a sudden he basically defers to her at every other scene except for the scenes where, mm-hmm. you know, where he feels personally threatened. But – does he, though, or doesn't he? It doesn't really come across as a power struggle uh, in that Machiavellian kind of way. So I wanted them to get a little bit closer towards like higher drama with that as opposed to, look, you woman, don't you do this or I'm going to club you over the head and, you know, you know, go get my dinner. And she's like, yes, Maj. You know, it's, the complacency was there, but not with the right tone for me. See, I, it, to me, that seemed like Kala's like one last grasp at having authority in the situation yeah. because she keeps playing him no matter what. So it's, it, it's just sort of like his standard fallback. Like, uh, I can't do anything about this, uh, but you're a woman. So, yeah. so there, <laughs> you know, um, but, but talk to me a little bit about Seska because I keep wondering, I, I did from the time that she departed and the, the big reveal about her character, what is her end game here? What is she getting out of this? You know, Chakotay tells Kala that he's being manipulated, which he is, but mm-hmm. for what? For what? And Chakotay tells Kala that she'll kill him. Maybe. Uh, does Chakotay really believe that? Does he really know that? Uh, maybe, maybe not. And I guess the only thing I can come to with Seska is maybe it's a bit of that old thing better to rule in hell than to serve in heaven mm-hmm. where she could have had a pretty cushy life on voyager and get back to the alpha quadrant even though you know she then needs to hightail it back to cardassia or wherever but here she has a chance to take over a less advanced uh, technology less advanced civilization with the kazon and that's just more appealing because I don't think she's going to have it better. So I'm still not quite sure what she gets out of this. Maybe because she's trained as an intelligence operative for the Cardassians, maybe the entire point of it is survival, much like Garrick, mm. right? You know, Garrick mm. had to mm-hmm. endure so many different um, lesser intellects when he was on Deep Space Nine. But the whole point <laughs> of him being there is to gather intelligence and to survive up to a point where he'll, he had the ability to return to Cardassia, which he did in a very different form of what he wanted to. So maybe that's whole, like the, the whole of Seska's endgame is just to live for the next opportunity to get back to Cardassia. Maybe that's how they're programmed. Like, 
do what it takes to survive and then do what your training allows you to do in order to manipulate people in order to survive. But you have to endure the long game. That's what I always loved about kind of like the way that they portray the Cardassians. It wasn't about the short game. It was about the long con, you know, yeah. like the way that Garrett con, you know, Cisco and in the pale moonlight, it was the long con for a very particular objective. And I think still in the end, the longest part of that objective, that goal is to live. I think that that's what they're getting to here. It, it is, but like, think about it this way. The things that actually matter to Seska are like getting one over on Voyager, getting one over on Chakotay, do, and uh, presumably getting back home. Mm-hmm. Now she has thrown in with less competent people on a less advanced ship. <laughs> and like, oh, I've, I've got you now right, right where I want you. Meanwhile, Voyager could just take off at like warp nine and nope out of there. Or perhaps like the way that Kirk said it uh, about Vedras, like um, they have us exactly where they want us. You know, maybe yeah. that's the thing. <laughs> right. You know, maybe yeah. Seska's like, you know what? I've thrown in with this lot. I didn't expect to be flung 70,000 70, light years away from home. So now mm-hmm. the model has completely changed. I have to readapt to where I am now and then kind of restructure my long game. And I think the long game here is mm-hmm. how many different people can I string along in order to protect myself in order to make, you know, to, uh, to reach my end game goal of getting back to the alpha quadrant because with Chakotay, he now has a vested interest in protecting her because of what she's done in a way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, he just can't straight up murder her now because that's like, he know she knows that that's morally against what Chakotay is all about. So now she's basically yeah. created essentially a human shield in the form of a child in order to protect her from Chakotay and Voyager. It's too bad the other Kazon leaders were beamed into space. Those Kazons could have had their own spin-off, the Marsh Squad. Here we are. We have maneuvered ourselves to the end of maneuvers. I've actually stolen that line from John. John said that way earlier, and it was way more clever than I could come up with right now. But we have come to the end of the episode, and we are want to do here on Mission Log. We take a look at does this episode hold up? Does it withstand the test of time? And then see if we were able to find any morals or meanings or messages contained therein. So I'm going to maneuver John into his answer and maneuver him to go first. So how'd you feel about this episode, John? I, I It's fine. I, maybe for me it's better than fine. I, I feel like I'm a little on the fence with it. And, and honestly, watching it a few more times to prep for our recording, like a lot of episodes, improved it for me. Uh, once mm-hmm. I was used to the story, used to the pacing, used to the scenes that stood out, I feel like I enjoyed it more. So what you've got, you've got a lot of actors really milking the drama here. And you get to give Chakotay a little more edge, something beyond just, say, like punching Lieutenant Dalby in the face. You know, she gave him some edge. Now he gave him a little bit more. But I, I feel like there's something holding this episode back from being truly great. And maybe it's a couple of limitations on my part here. I, I don't know how invested I am in the Kazon at this point. I, I know that it's not a lot. And I also I sympathize with Ken Biller's frustration at not really showing consequence for Chakotay's actions. That was one of those scenes where it's telling, not showing. So you just have a conversation. I'm reprimanding you. 
oh, I feel bad for being reprimanded. Okay, then we'll come back next week and that will be forgotten. And right. and finally, for as many good moments as you got in this, I feel like that reveal at the end with Seska's pregnancy, it really did feel like a soap opera move and didn't really feel like something that was earned out of the episode. I, I know that there are the clues all along the way. I know that we see that moment of her doing something in his neck with that medical device. I know that there is the lead up of her kind of teasing him and what the nature of their relationship was before, but doing it like that at the end just felt strange and, and out of step, out of step for the episode, but out of step for Voyager. So Am I really waiting on the edge of my seat to see what happens next with her? Or or am I just hoping that this storyline gets forgotten and, and we move on to something else other than Kazan and Seska, etc.? Because, again, the last time we saw them was months ago. How far, how much distance have we actually put between Voyager and them? But there are things in this episode that are very good. Like I said, the, the pacing is nice. There is an element of danger, the, uh, whether it's that first act where there's a lot of action happening or you see Chakotay getting beat up. And, you know, there, there are things that have some impact here. There are good action shots. There are good space shots. But even with all of that, I, this episode doesn't feel great. It feels fine. So maybe I'm mm -hmm. just tipped over and slightly into the edge of saying it does hold up, but it's probably not one that I would go back to and hold on to as a favorite. What about you? Like fine as in wine aging or fine like the meme of the dog in the burning house fine? Uh, fine. A dog in the burning house. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I just wanted to give a visual. <laughs> not, not, not like fine dining, fine jewelry, uh, right. fine wine. No, it's it's fine. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, it's, yeah. Everything's fine. Yeah. This is fine. Um, I was actually more engaged with this episode more towards the end than the beginning. I thought the beginning was very good. I thought the end right up until a point was – very, very good. It was fine. Uh, this was kind of... Uh, there were a lot of peaks, and there were a lot of valleys. And when the, mm -hmm. the peaks peaked, they were good. And when the valleys were low, they were low. Right? Yeah. So the peak of the raid, um, the action sequence there, very tight. And that happened within, like, the first two and a half minutes. I mean, it was super yeah. tight. It was super exciting. Yep. It really got you engaged in the story. Then the story took place. And I'm like, okay, this is pretty standard fare. And then, you know... Beltran's, uh, you know, his performance, you know, being tortured, you know, you know, being interrogated, um, his pursuit of Seska, all of that was very good. The Big Valley, though, and not that great TV show from like the 1960s, you know, but the Big <laughs> Valley here was Seska's turn because she went from incredibly interesting Lady Macbeth style manipulator to Cullis Macbeth to mustache twirling villain with the whole I'm pregnant with your child soap opera ending with literally like everyone standing around doing the one of three was it the one of three expressions exercise thinking about did I leave the stove yeah. on I yeah. did leave the stove on I didn't leave the stove on right yeah. you know those three yeah. responses and everyone saw it at the end it was very transparent it was very disappointing that all being said I think I would still recommend this episode because it moves the story forward and, it's, and it moves the story forward with elements from Caretaker, you know, with um, the Kazon that were introduced to the technology, quote unquote, then. Then you have kind of like the return of Maj Kala. And I said 
I was pointing my finger at Janeway. See? See what happens when you let people go unpunished from your ship when, when they commit crimes? They come back because they think you're weak. You know, they come back and attack you because you didn't do anything about their first attack to begin with. Remember when they killed the prisoner on your ship in state of flux? No? Anyone not remember that? It's because they didn't do anything about it. And now <laughs> he raided her ship like it was nobody's business. And obviously it wasn't Tuvox being head of security. So anyway, that kind of stuff, you know, it kind of like rubbed me the wrong way. But I do like that we get a little bit more Chakotay. I really like most of what Martha Hackett was doing in this as Seska, except for the end, because I love I love the sneer. She has the best sneer. She does. Right? Martha Hackett. Yes. Yeah. She just looks at the camera and just like, you're you're all weak and disgusting creatures, you know, that I'm looking at for some yeah. reason. Maybe that's her motivation. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that there's just a very interesting uh, – uptick i think in the way that voyager is telling its story and we're seeing a little bit more of the other characters and i do think that there is something maybe not as you know uh maybe not as uh, as sexually charged as it was in persistence of vision but there is definitely something between chakotay and balana from a deep relationship standpoint that i also like seeing as well oh yeah yeah sure yeah i I think there's something there um and and that brings us to morals meanings messages and what do we get out of it and and that's sort of is sort of the I don't want to say failing, but that is the difficulty of this episode is because I think what's front and center is you have this action piece at the top, then you have this soap opera melodrama at the end. And how do you get a you see Timmy moment out of that? How do you get a moral meaning message out of that that feels like it's something bigger than just those dramatic elements? Um there's one moment and what well one particular piece of a moment that stands out to me and that is the Janeway speech at the end dressing down Chakotay and she tells him that he acted out of line even if he did it for the right reasons he undermined her command and disappointed her personally which again chills because I never want that to happen to me he says it uh, I, I rewound it and watched it over and over again he says if that's so I regret it, which is not an apology. (laughs) It's uh, that I I know it's just a couple of words, but if you take out the, if that's so, that would be so much more powerful for me. He can be full of regret and remorse. He can grovel, but it's saying if that's so, it's sort of like, Oh, if I made you feel bad, I'm sorry. That's, that that undermines your apology. I'm sorry. It's it's the road to hell. It's paved with good intentions. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So she puts him on report, and then what? I, I I'm not sure what the lesson is here because I found that moment to be much more dramatically satisfying with Tuvok, partly because I felt like the stakes were higher. And partly because I felt like this was a new situation and you felt the anguish that Janeway felt with her back against the wall. I can't lose my valued officer, but I also can't let this be an example to the crew that says you can get away with anything because we don't have the ability to address and punish these types of transgressions out here. That that was much more acute then than it is now. Now it just felt like, well, here's another. And 
I, I, I almost, because we had that moment with Tuvok, I wanted this one to even surpass that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I feel like we lose having a really satisfactory moral meaning or message here. Um, I, can, can you save it for me? You know, I, I don't know if I can because you know you, you make some very um, very specific, very logical points here, and I think that looking at the crime and punishment factor in this, I think the one thing that would have been satisfactory is if something of consequence actually happened in the end, because we're we're driven to that point in the narrative, and we like as the audience and uh, and the frustration that we all feel is we want to see something happen so we grow and learn from the process. Right, but you can't do that if you don't have something very dramatic or, or very specific. You know, when it comes to like consequences for actions, that's I think where the biggest moral issue falls into a very strange place in general with Voyager, right? Because, and I'm saying this in a general statement, I have not served, and I have the deepest respect and admiration for people that have or still do. But from what I understand, people in the service. They, they toe the line. They walk that, that, the plank of discipline, for lack of a better term, because of their career and their professional reputation and what that means. Mm-hmm. You know, reputation in the service, and we're looking at Starfleet as being the service, from what I understand, is more precious than money or wealth. A person's word must be trustworthy and beyond reproach. So where does this leave Chakotay when he says, you know, I'm... It means I've let you down, and that for that I'm truly sorry. I mean, is that an apology, and is this a believable, this won't happen again? Does that change anything? See, that, that is the question there. Yeah. Right. And has he learned anything from this, or are we just at that point? Again, like comparing and contrasting kind of like the darkness in Deep Space Nine and the moral implications that we need to learn from Voyager. If it goes dark, then you have two dark shows as opposed to I've learned my lesson and now we can move forward to the next episode. Mm -hmm. But what we know of Chakotay here is that he's an exercise in extremisms because he's what he's Mm -hmm. saying is at the end it's a point of personal honor. And I think that Bellana was trying to get to that, too. We just didn't get there. Right. So is this the same person who compelled who compelled who was compelled to execute a suicide mission because he was personally driven to do so by personal honor? I mean, is that the conviction that we're supposed to take away from in this episode? Is that the conviction that Janeway says, nope, this is the man who's going to learn from this mistake? Or is he just going to obsess over failure and try and atone for his mistake? Is that what Janeway can depend on? We don't know. So I think that that's the big question here is, look, what is Janeway going to do if this happens again? Yeah. Right? Because strike one was Tuvok. You know, strike two is Chakotay. Mm-hmm. So what's strike three going to be? And what are we going to learn from that? What has Janeway learned from that? And yeah. that's where I think we're at a very uneasy space in Voyager right now. Well said. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, Resistance. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. Online at Warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, 
Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Schabel. Regardless of who the father is, let's pause to reflect on what it would be like to be Seska's kid, that poor kid. End transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.